Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit from a local business to a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. The Economist. In London, this is The Economist, and you're listening to Babbage, a weekly conversation on science and technology. I'm Kenneth Kukier, the data editor, and I'm joined here today by Ludwig Ziegler, our technology editor, and Tim Cross, our science correspondent. Hello, Ludwig. Hello. Hey, Tim. Hi, Ken. In this episode, we'll talk about Dell making a big bet on cloud computing in the largest tech deal of all time. And from the world of science, pig organs are being prepared for human transplants. Ludwig, let's turn to you first with some news in the tech world. Dell is preparing to buy the security and cloud computing company EMC. What's happening? Big news indeed. It's it's the biggest tech merger ever. It's worth $68 billion. Uh, so it's Dell, a big uh, PC maker, computer maker, buying EMC, which is a big maker of storage devices. It's going to transform Dell completely out of its business line into an entirely new one. Yes. I mean, people probably know Dell as a maker of, of personal computers and laptops, and that's mainly still true. But it wants to move into the enterprise space, sell hardware and software to companies that is a more profitable business. You know, the PC market is, is in decline. And so they bought EMC, which provides storage devices and other enterprise wares to companies. Do you think it makes sense for these two companies that are good but not great to join forces? I mean, it's, it depends on how you look at it. I mean, financially, I think it's, it's quite a feat, and it's still not clear whether it's going to work out. I mean, Dell has to raise, I think, $45 billion to make that deal happen, a huge amount of money. Lots of other things, complicated structures, deal, financial structures. Industrially, I mean, when it comes to the technology, it may make sense because previously people bought storage, computers, and networking devices separately in the enterprise. We're not talking consumers. But now these things are kind of merging, and, and, and it seems to me that Dell, Michael Dell, the founder and chief executive of Dell, he wants to make a play on that, kind of merge these these three different devices, perhaps even in one computer, and then sell that to companies. So these companies can build uh, what's called a cloud, kind of very flexible, uh, huge computer systems. I mean, isn't isn't there an issue? We've uh, we did a famous cover several years back now of the two camels trying to get it on. You know, these sort of big mergers have a history of basically not working. It takes one company a long time to digest the other. They often destroy shareholder value, as the the analysts put it. That is definitely true. I mean, these mergers are never easy. And, and, and we have HP a few years back buying Compaq, which was a huge disaster. Yeah. But there is not a lot of overlap between the companies. These companies are quite similar culturally, uh, or at least not as different uh, as to make it very difficult for them to merge. So, so yes, it's, it's always a risk, but it still happens. I mean, even though the experience shows that you probably shouldn't uh, mate in that way, it still happens. And this is a response to the huge juggernaut of Amazon Web Services and cloud computing in general. Yeah, it's, it's, that is certainly a big part, part of the story. So Amazon Web Services, Amazon, you know, the big e-commerce site, has lots of experience in, in running huge computer systems. In 2006, decides, oh, why don't we sell that as a service? And at that time, I remember people were kind of, oh, that's not going to work. 
uh, today they they no longer laugh because Amazon Web Services has become so big that if Amazon Web Services were a listed company, it probably would be worth as much as EMC and Dell combined. But perhaps I should say what Amazon Web Services actually does. So usually or, or traditionally, uh, companies had their computers in their own data centers. They had their own software on that. And that's moving into the cloud, meaning it's being centralized. It's being run by companies like Amazon Web Services. And, and it's being kind of then uh, delivered as a service over the internet. So this merger is really just a bet that Michael Dell can manage EMC and transform it into Amazon Web Services better than EMC can do it on itself and also save Dell from being irrelevant. Wait a second. I mean, Dell doesn't want to become a provider of cloud services. What Dell wants to do is sell gear to companies that want to build their own private clouds or to big public cloud providers like Amazon Web Services. Okay, now that becomes even weirder because if there is something like an Amazon Web Service, why would a company want to do it itself? I mean, the whole appeal is to outsource all of that stuff to a third party. It, it really depends, yes. I mean, cloud computing is much more flexible and cheaper than traditional IT. But still, you probably want to keep a certain type of data or applications on-premise because you, you really that's your secret sauce. You want to protect it. That's your intellectual property. You don't want to give it to somebody else, to a third party. The other thing is, of course, that old systems that, that are already running corporate systems are really difficult to move into the cloud. And so a lot of computing will not be done in, in, in kind of clouds like Amazon's, but on-premise for, for some time. And there's still a market. It's a shrinking market, but it's, there's definitely a market. I mean, that makes sense, but it's quite ironic, isn't it? Because the great selling point of the cloud was supposed to be that it simplifies everything. You don't have to worry about running the stuff yourself. You just outsource it to Amazon and they get on with it or whoever else. Now you're going to outsource some stuff to Amazon, keep some stuff that's too secret and run it yourself, keep some stuff that's too sort of old and, and fiddly and kludgy and run that yourself. And you've sort of multiplied the complexity in a way. You've made life hard of your IT department. Yes, it adds complexity, but at the same time, it makes a lot of things uh, simpler and possible. A lot of things that are possible on the cloud, for example, testing stuff quickly, developing applications quickly, are are much more difficult on-premise. And I think eventually most of the computing, the corporate computing, or the computing that consumers consume will be done on clouds. So this is sort of like not a deal in favor of the cloud per se, but like Instead of it being 2.0, it's 1.5, which is to say it's the halfway cloud in which the company still manages it itself. It sounds to me, I ascribe to Tim's evocation of the, the camels mating, but it sounds like in this instance, the cover should be two dinosaurs mating. Yes and no. I mean, as I said, I mean, there's there's the cloud trend in the IT industry, but there's also the trend of kind of merging all these different types of, of hardware into one computer, and then you can program it what it wants to be, a router, a server, a storage device. And so if Dell can kind of ride that trend, it definitely has a future. Okay. Well, thank you, Ludwig. That's great. Thank you. Tim, let's turn to you. Scientists are editing the pig genome and are preparing organs for human transplants? Yeah, it's less mad than it sounds. You probably know transplants are are a great thing, but there's always a shortage of them. Most organs that we transplant into people come from dead bodies, from people who've recently died. There are all sorts of, you know, ethical complications. So generally, there's not enough organs to go around. And scientists have been trying to figure out technical ways around that for a long time. And one that's sort of been promising for a long time, but never really made it into the clinic, is to take organs from other animals. There's an ick factor, but first let's talk about the science of this. If this is so 
straightforward. Why weren't we doing it before? Well, so there are problems. One is the same as you get with a human organ transplant, where you have to make sure that the recipient's immune system doesn't freak out, think this thing is a massive foreign object, which which it is, and uh, attack it, you know, and, and effectively destroy the, the the donor organ. That's an even bigger problem when you're transplanting between species, and it is when you're transplanting between people. But the other problem, which is specific to pigs, now people. People have looked at lots of different animals. Pigs tend to be chosen as, as the most likely donor species because their organs are about the same size as human ones, so they, they fit in the same hole, basically. We know quite a lot about them. They're reasonably easy to raise. But one of the problems with pigs is that their genomes are full of what are called retroviruses, which are uh, viral infections that hide in the DNA of living cells. That makes them very hard to dislodge. And the worry is that if you transplant a pig organ into somebody, these diseases might jump the species barrier and infect humans. And of course, you know, we already suffer from diseases that we've caught from pigs, most famously swine flu. So no one really wants to go near that particular kind of worms. Okay. So we change the DNA of the organ and then transplant the organ into the human. So this has been the suggestion, and this has been what people have have been trying to do. Because the virus lives in the cell's DNA, if you can edit that DNA and chop the bits of virus out, then you have a transplanted organ with no risk of infection. And people have been trying that with various kinds of technology for a while, and it's never really worked. But there's a paper just published in Science where a guy called George Church, who's at the Harvard Medical School, um, he describes using this quite exciting new genetic engineering technique to basically do this successfully. And it doesn't harm the organ to have its genetic makeup changed? Well, it doesn't seem to. This is one of the things that that people were worried about. So they were working on, on kidney cells, pig kidney cells, and they picked a specific clade, a specific family of these viruses to look at. They found 62 different viruses in different parts of the pig genome. And they used this technique to chop these out. And that does quite a lot of damage to the DNA because you're cutting it in 62 different places. You're relying on the cell to repair the break. And yet it seems to have passed off pretty much without a hitch. The cells seem healthy afterwards. Tim, I've got a really basic question, and I feel so embarrassed to ask it. But you have a kidney from a pig. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of cells, Mm -hmm. and all those cells have DNA in it. Mm -hmm. How do you accomplish editing the entire DNA structure of an entire organ to get it ready for a transplant in a different species. So that's the thing. You probably wouldn't do that because, as you said, there are so many billions of cells in an individual organ that it's just kind of impractical. Right. You, know, you only need a few to escape notice, and you, you're kind of back at square one with this, with this problem of, of infected tissue. So these were done on, on individual cells in, in a Petri dish. The idea in the long term might be to do it to pig embryos because Got this it. virus is, is present you know, in every cell in the pig's body. So if you can do this to an embryo... You then grow it. You grow it, and then you have a retrovirus-free pig, okay. and you can take whichever organ you want. So when do you think this technique might actually get into the operating theater? Well, that's the big question. So the idea is not that new, and there have been occasional attempts at doing it over, over the past maybe 20 years. It's never really got anywhere. What, what's kind of exciting about this is the technique that they've used. It's this new genetic engineering technique called CRISPR-Cas9, which we put on our cover a few months ago because it's very easy to do. It's very powerful. It lets you do these big-scale edits in a way that wasn't really possible before. And there's a huge sort of buzz in biology and genetic engineering around this. What they've got here is proof of concept. We're pretty far still from, you know, turning up at your local hospital and being presented with a selection of pig organs and, you know, I'll, I'll have a liver and a kidney kind of thing. But in sort of one vault, they've jumped over 
one of the big problems that held this back. So it's always kind of dangerous to predict. But I think, you know, the field was 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 kind of moribund for the past few years. This is really going to reignite some interest, I think. That's really interesting. Thank you, Tim. And thank you, Ludwig. That's all we have time for this episode. You've been listening to Babbage. For more news on science and technology, go to economist.com. In London, this is The Economist. The Economist. Hi, this is Matt. And Sean. From Two Black Guys. With good credit. From a local business to a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.